And if you would open your copy of the scriptures to Mark chapter 15. We'll be reading verses uh, 20. I'm going to start with 21 and uh, through the end of the chapter. Before I start reading, I'll just go ahead and tell you so that I can tell you and then not worry about it. Um, but uh, I'm between dental procedures and have a hole or gap in my teeth where I normally don't have one. And I can feel this is my first time uh, this morning speaking in public since that time. And I feel air escaping where I'm not used to that and hear a little whistle that you may not hear. But So I, I was self-conscious about that. I know when I start preaching that I will lose that self-consciousness and uh, you just may have to put up with the whistle. (laughs) Um, Please hear God's word, beginning with verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, "Ah, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, sabachthani. I had practiced that several times uh, during the week. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it and said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran, or someone ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who were, uh, who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. And there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. 
And when evening had come, since it was the the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to this most holy of passages, and we read about the crucifixion of our Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us never to lose the wonder of it all. That the King of glory came and died for sinners. And even more than that, came and died for our sins. That the King of glory came and died for my sins. God, we, we don't have the, the ability to really grasp what that means. Help us by your Spirit to understand it. To rejoice in it. And as um, Joe Bethany um, already alluded to, help us even though it's one of those basics of the faith. Help us never to overlook it. Help us never to um, to think less of it because it is a truth that we are so familiar with. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a passage that I have been looking forward to for some weeks now. Uh, I think it is an important message because in the cross we find the meaning of history. In the cross we find the true measure of God's love for sinners. In the cross we find the only way to fellowship with God. So I've sat out in the pew uh, myself growing up um, and uh, I know that it can be very tempting to fall into the habit of not listening to the preacher I understand that I don't like listening to myself uh, on recordings I bore me but please pay attention to this message as we consider the message of the cross because the meaning of the cross gives you the foundation for your life the meaning of the cross is the greatest formative influence in your life and the meaning of the cross also shows you the path to authentic to living an authentic uh, human life and also the path to real happiness.
more than that, it shows us the glory of God and His great love for us. So I'm going to jump right in with the first, um, the first point that God ordained the cross. There's an outline on the back of your bulletin if you would like to uh, use that to aid you. And the reason why I come to this point is really verse 24. In verse 24, it says, uh, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. This idea of casting lots for his for his clothing, uh, the reason that this insignificant point is uh, made by Mark is that this is actually prophesied of the Lord Jesus that on the cross they would cast lots for his garments and they would divide them among them this is a prophecy that comes from Psalm 22 Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm about Jesus' death on the cross and you can hear the cross being foreshadowed hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Listen to Psalm 22, and I've just selected a few verses from it. Uh, The psalmist says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Remember that we just read from the scripture where the people were passing by as Jesus was hanging on the cross. It says that they derided him. They wagged their heads saying, Ah, you who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. They were saying in Mark. And the psalmist continues in uh, Psalm 22, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, written by King David hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. I could quote several other Old Testament passages that predict the death of Christ on the cross. Um, Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus going to the cross and dying in the place of sinners. And the point that I'm driving at is that everything about the cross was ordained by God. The Old Testament prophecies make it clear the New Testament is even more straightforward, even more plain spoken. Listen to Acts chapter 2. This is Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He's preaching to to the Israelites that have gathered. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus 
was delivered up according to a definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Or in Acts chapter 4, the uh, believers are gathered together in prayer. They say, For truly in this city where we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is saying He predestinated the cross. 1 Peter 1, 18-21 The Apostle Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, so that your faith and hope are in God. The scripture saying that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world to be the Lamb of God. Why was He so designated as the Lamb of God? So that He could be the perfect sacrifice for sinners. Remember John? In uh, John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world before the creation of the world. Jesus was chosen to be that Lamb who would go to that awful cross and have His blood spilled in our place. God ordained the cross. What are some of the implications of this? Well, first of all, God has made the cross the center point of history. Everything in history prior to the cross pointed to the cross. All of history before the cross was organized with the cross in mind. Everything, every big event, every inconsequential circumstance pointed to the cross. And all history subsequent to the cross moves in relation to it. In other words, since the cross, all of history, all of our history, all of your personal history moves in relation to the cross. To the fact that Jesus died upon that cross and that he rose from the grave and he is seated at the right hand of God because death could not hold him. All history is moving and it revolves around the cross. The cross is the most significant uh, event in history. Everything else, think about that, everything else, the world wars, the calamities, the tragedies, the highlights, the low points, everything is less significant than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else finds its meaning in relation to the cross. 
gospel, here's another implication of that. America is not the center of history. God has used America. I hope that He will continue to use us for the purpose of spreading the gospel. But He does not need us. America is not the center of God's plans. The cross is the center of God's plans. This also means that you are not the center of history. Your life, rather, finds its meaning in relation to the cross. Your life is to be used for the gospel. If you gave every waking moment of your life for the purpose of spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus, your life will not have been wasted. But if you live for these good things like family, friends, work, or happiness, and you are not living for the gospel, then your life will have been insignificant and wasted. The cross is the center of history. The cross must, because of its significance, and because of God ordaining it, must be the organizing principle of your life. God ordained the cross and God sent Jesus to that awful cross. This means um, several things. First of all, it means that God is in control. Think about it like this. The cross was the most wicked act that man has ever carried out. But we read from Acts chapter 4 that even though Pontius Pilate, Herod, and the men of Israel gathered together against the Lord Jesus to murder Him, they were doing what God's plan had predestined should happen. The most wicked act of all of history, God ordained it. And He uses it for His glory and His purposes. Every act in all of history, regardless of how tragic, regardless of how evil, God is working out His glory and His purposes. Lamentations 3, 37, and 38. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Or Isaiah chapter 45... I forgot to put that in my notes. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Our Proverbs 16.4 The Lord works out everything for His own ends, including the wicked for a day of disaster. God is in control. Psalm 115 verse 3 Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever pleases Him. God is working. He is working His glorious, His holy, His good purposes out in every event, in every circumstance. 
regardless how painful they may seem at the time. And here's the second consequence or second implication of the fact that God sent Jesus to the cross, that he's the one who did it. And the second consequence is that God loves sinners. He sent Jesus to the cross. Many people believe that God is angry at sinners and that Jesus comes along and mitigates God's anger. That God's got his hand raised at any moment to crush a Christian when they get out of line. And Jesus is there making intercession, holding back his hand. That's not the gospel. God sent Jesus to that awful cross because he loves us so much. I think, unfortunately, we treat God... Uh, how would you say it? Like a, like a theology textbook. Well, this is God's nature, therefore He must act like this. He's holy, therefore He must hate sin, therefore He must hate every sinner who, um, who sins. Even Christians whom Jesus died for. And um, the problem is, God loved sinners. God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son to the Alpha Cross. See, I think in our minds, to send Jesus to the cross for sinners, that's not rational. It's not logical. It doesn't seem just. It seems to go against every impulse that we know about God. That He would do that. And so we don't really fully bask in His love. I think we underestimate His mercy. I think we underestimate His love for sinners. He sent His Son to die for sinners. Moving on through the outline, the next point says that Jesus died for sinners. Not only does the Father love sinners and sent Jesus to die on the cross, but Jesus identifies with sinners. Look at verse 27. It says, And with him, with Jesus, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And then look at verse 32. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now we know from the book of Luke that one of these robbers um, became a Christian there on the cross. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. But Mark doesn't open that up for us. Um, He simply wants us to know that Jesus died with a robber on his right and a robber on his left and that Jesus was right there in the middle of them. This is not an accident. First of all, we know it's not an accident because it was prophesied in the Scripture. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says he was numbered with the transgressors. But also, God had Jesus there between these two people that were going to heap insults upon him. These two robbers to be crucified on his right and on his left. 
to teach us that Jesus came to die as a substitute for sinners. Jesus, the express reason he became a human being was to die for human beings. He came to earth, he lived a perfect life, all for the purpose of bearing the sin of sinners and dying in their place. Romans verses five, Romans chapter five verses six through eight. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died not for the righteous. He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Make a couple of applications to this. What do you do when something goes wrong? What do you do when something doesn't go according to your plan? It seems like it's our first reaction oftentimes to doubt God, to questioning. You read these Dear Abby columns, you know, can I really love God? Can I really trust Him because He didn't give me this or He didn't do that or this happened in my life? You know, for me, my my, my uh, normal progression is when something doesn't go right, well, then I worry, and then I try and make a plan. Okay, how am I going to fix this? Then I worry some more, and then when I realize I'm probably not going to be able to carry out the plan, then I begin to sulk and uh, have my little dark space. And then I'll say, oh, I can pray. <laughs> but the, the application really is... Jesus so loves sinners that when something doesn't go according to plan, we can know that he's loving us anyway and that he's working everything out for our good. If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so, our first reaction should be to trust and secondly to pray. We can put the worry aside, Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So, an application would be that we don't need to worry. We don't need to question. We can simply pray. I think we make our approach to God too complicated. I think we make our approach to God to be too religious. We've got to do this in the right way. We've got to have this inflection in our voice when we pray. God loves sinners. Jesus identified with sinners. We know that he loves us. Don't be slow in coming to him. Don't be religious in coming to Him. Just go to Him. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. He loves you so much that He died on the cross. Loving, trusting. Next point. God judged sin on the cross. Verses 33 through 37. Look at verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And then verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, 
Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's what's happening here. Is God at this moment is judging Jesus Christ there on the cross. That's the reason for this darkness. The darkness overtook the land to represent the darkness that overtook Egypt when the firstborn were being killed during the, the tenth plague. Because here in our text, here on the cross, the firstborn is being judged and killed. And God is the executioner. And Jesus here on the cross is experiencing the full unmitigated wrath of God. And He's doing it in our place. We say with the Apostles' Creed that Jesus went down to hell. That's really a a poor translation as it's come to us in the English language. He went down to the grave. He didn't go down to hell. I don't believe. Because hell came to him. Those three hours that he was on the cross, that the, the light was blocked out, that he, that there was darkness covering uh, the land, God was judging Jesus for our sins. Jesus became sin in our place. He accepted the responsibility for our sin. And so God was forsaking Jesus, was turning his back on him, and was pouring out all of the wrath of hell upon him. And Jesus voluntarily went to that cross and took the blow in our place. Did anybody see that video this week? Uh, It was in a, a subway in England. And as the, the, the subway was coming, the mother wasn't paying attention. She had her child in the stroller beside her. And as the, the train rumbled, it started vibrating. And you see in this surveillance video, the, the baby carriage or the, the stroller roll right off the platform, right into the train. The train at that point was slowing down because it was coming into the station. They said that the conductor realized what was happening and put on the brakes extra hard, but still the train went on for another 50 or 75 feet. And you can see the mother in the video just she doubles over. If there were sound to that video, you would have probably heard some of the most blood-curdling, uh, anguish screams that you could ever, that you will ever hear in your life. The remarkable thing is that the stroller took the blow. It hit, the, the train did hit the stroller, and the stroller was carried in front of the train for that 50 to 75 feet. The baby was unharmed. I think they said that they, the baby needed a band aid. And again, the train was slowing down, but when Jesus Christ took that blow from the Father. The train was full speed ahead. did not slow down. And, it, and the, 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 the train of God's wrath plowed right through the Lord Jesus. That's why he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was standing in our place, taking the blow that we deserved. 
If you continue looking at the outline, the last point, and I'll be brief. Jesus gained full access to God through the cross. Verses 38 and 39. When Jesus, in verse 37, uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, when he died, it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion saw uh, who stood facing him saw that, he, that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There are several other things that are described in the other Gospels. At this point, there was an earthquake. Uh, I think Matthew says, Graves broke open. Dead people, saints in Jerusalem, began walking around the city. It's a remarkable thing. Mark doesn't record that for us, but he does record that this gigantic curtain that was there to represent our separation from God was torn completely in two from top to bottom symbolizing that we now have full access to the Father. We have full access to the Holy of Holies. Not because we were smart enough to believe in Jesus but because Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness. On the cross, he took away our sins. It doesn't matter if you have a bank account of sins that would would not even fit in five sanctuaries. Jesus, by his death on the cross, gives you a zero in that bank account, takes away all of your sins. But that's only half the story. I think we focus on the fact that we have zero sins and now we think we have to to do all these good things to please God and to build up our account. That's not the way it works. You have the zero account. And then the Lord Jesus, as Billy illustrated, gives us His righteousness. He gives us His full, unmitigated righteousness so that you... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you have as much righteousness as Jesus has. You stand before God judicially as perfect. You stand before God as holy as God is. Otherwise, you could not get into heaven. One little sin would block your access now, in Christ, you are righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. I was trying to think of several different ways to, to illustrate this, this, this thought this week. And one thought crossed my mind. If you are in Jesus... And they were able to find that Ark of the Covenant. You'd be able to walk up and touch it and not die. Because you have the righteousness of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a representation of God's presence. And by that it was saying that we are sinful. We could not touch it. We would certainly die. But in Jesus, 
you can walk right into the Holy of Holies. The access or the, the, the partition has been torn away. You have full, complete access. Again, we, we emphasize the narrow way. And rightly so. Jesus said, wide is the gate, broad is the way uh, that leads to life. Um, many are on that road. I'm sorry, not, not, that leads to destruction, sorry. Um, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. And if you find it, he's talking about repentance there. That you've got to be willing to drop everything to get on that road. But when you get on that road and you come to Jesus, that access is wide open. There's nothing that can hinder you. Yes, unrepentant sin, but that's really showing that you're you're not following Jesus in the in the first place. Same steps that a Christian takes. Um, in repenting of their sins are the same steps that a non-Christian takes in coming to Christ for the first time. But there's full access to God. Jesus gained it by His death on the cross. So don't hesitate in coming to Him. Don't try and hide from Him like Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. Come to Him. He loves you. And then for my closing illustration, I was thinking of uh, Augustine this week. Augustine, um, one of the saints that lived back in the 400s A.D., one of the great fathers of the church, grew up not as a Christian, and he became aware of his sinfulness. And he became so aware of his sinfulness that he began reading the scriptures. And in so doing, he saw the holiness of God and was even more aware of his sinfulness and saw that God died for sinners. He understood the gospel, became a Christian. But then he said he went further and he realized that the God who was so holy provided the access for him by dying in his place and it became personal and he talks about how he worked in his life never to lose the joy of that thought and that's what I want to leave you with this morning may the gospel may the cross of Jesus Christ never become old hat never become mundane ordinary our God loves us. Our God sent His Son to die for us. Our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, bore the penalty that we should have borne. And for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, endured the shame, in order that He might purchase us for God. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we've gone over a little bit this morning, but we've gone over for a worthy cause because we have labored to see the Lord Jesus, to fall in love again with Him. Father, I pray that if there are any here who have been confused about the message of the cross, 
or if it is seen as this as foolishness to them. Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would come to them and be the wisdom and righteousness and holiness of God. Father, for all of us, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Him who loved us so much and continues to love us and blesses us throughout the moments of our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.